The scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this week when I was working on this sermon, a couple things happened. Um, one was I, you know, I had thought a lot about this and there's so much going on in this text and I'm trying to connect it to some other things Jesus is saying um, because, you know, Jesus doesn't just preach four verses and then like stop for a week, right? Like this is all one conversation. So I'm trying to figure out how to tie it together. And at the end of the week, I had 15 pages of notes, which may mean nothing to you except that normally for my sermons, I have about five pages of notes, okay? So the good news is, is that I am not going to preach 15 pages of notes to you because we'd be here till one o'clock or something, and that's not the case. But what we're going to be doing this morning is, um, I think typically when people hear this text, they're like, okay, this is one of those. Like, this is one of the sermons where we get to hear about like how we should be giving to the church. Yeah, you should be giving to the church. That's true, whatever. But that's actually, I'm actually going to go at kind of the heart of where Jesus is coming from with this. And if you haven't thought much about it, I, th- I, th- I think it'll be really profound for you. But if you'll notice, the name of the sermon in here is Greed and Generosity. Like, if you care about titles, you can delete that one. And, and the new title of this sermon really is Receiving Generously. Receiving Generously. Because that's, that, that's, that's at the heart of what Jesus is saying here, uh, here is, is. If you understand who he is and who his father is and how generous they've been to you, it's going to transform your life. You're going, to be, you're going to begin to imitate that generosity. And of course that includes money, but it, it's so much more. Um, you know, what does it mean for us to actually so experience the generosity of God that it begins to shape us and shape who we are? Now, as a pastor, part of the gig for me is um, I get to spend hours every single week studying the Scriptures. It's like part of the blessing of my work. And I'm telling you, after more than two decades of doing that, every single time I read a text that talks about how gracious God is or how generous He is or how tender He is, it's hard to wrap our minds around it. It's hard for us to really wrap our minds around how much God loves us and how gracious He is to us and how undeserving we might be and yet how generous He is to us. It is so significant that if you'll just like, this is going to be like a 20-minute sermon, so maybe if you can tune in for 20 minutes, like if you can pull 20 minutes off, it's shorter than a TED Talk, okay? So it's like 20 minutes um, it's 11 o'clock, so if you can tune in, like, this concept, it, it will begin to reshape how you understand God's love for you. If you understand and ask the question, are you receiving generously from God? Like, are, are you basking in the fact that God is being generous to you? Um, two weeks ago, I think Kyle told you about this last week, but he and I, we both went to New Orleans, and it was for a conference, it was great, I found us a cool place to stay across the street from Redeemer New Orleans. And we're there, and the day before we get there, I get this text message from the owner of the place, and she says, hey, do you want fresh croissants or cinnamon scones? Now, that's a no-brainer to me. 
I want cinnamon scones. But I was like, that is so sweet that she would do that. That's kind, nice touch, whatever. We get to the place there in New Orleans. We go into this, it's like shotgun house, if you can imagine. We go through the gate. We have to type in the code. It's very confusing, but finally figured it out. Went around the corner, and as soon, as soon as we got around the corner, I saw that she kept bees. There were three, like, little areas where she was keeping bees. I was like, oh, um, those seem like they're far enough away where I'm not going to get stung. I wasn't totally sure, but I was like, they seem far enough away. We went inside, and of course, what's sitting there but a fresh jar of honey. Now, like, none of that's necessary, right? I get in the house, and that night she says, hey, did you, did you see the honey in the scones? I said, that was so nice. Like, thank you. It's so kind. You did not have to do that. She goes, no, we, we want to be generous to you. Um, and I thought to myself, yeah. You know what happens when someone texts you the day before and says, hey, do you want some cinnamon scones? I know a good place. Let me get you some. Hey, you know what? We keep bees. I've got fresh honey for you. I actually brought it home and made Walker's lunch with it for a week uh, going to school. You know what it tells you? That someone is interested in you. That they're anticipating you. That they want to be hospitable. They want to welcome you. And when you hear this scripture, if you're, if you're not careful, you only hone in on the first verses. But listen to that last verse, verse 4. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do you consider the fact that God is so generous that right now He's preparing rewards for you? Or do you think about Him that way? He actually wants that to be something that's exciting to you. Listen to John chapter 14, verse 2. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. And you also will be where I am. Like, do you think about that generosity of Jesus that even at this moment, he's preparing a place for you, catered to you, for you, the things that he's given you and made you that make you love. Like, he's preparing a place for you. God is preparing a place for you. He's generous. Or Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Or Hebrews chapter, let's see here. Where did I put in my notes? I told you I had a lot. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. If you are here this morning and you're seeking God, you need to understand God wants to reward you with something. He wants to reward you with Himself. He's generous. You know, it's like the idea of how we experience God's grace and expressing His grace. You ever find it hard to be gracious to somebody or hard to love somebody? You know what the answer is to that when you're struggling to love somebody or struggling to, be, struggling to be gracious to them? This is the answer. God, how much do you love me? God, how gracious are you with me? How generous have you been to me? If you actually can't get to the place where you can love someone, God actually wants you to step back and go, wait a minute, what, what do you think of me? Experiencing his love, experiencing his grace begins to transform your heart where you even begin to be able to love the unlovable. It's why Paul uses, why Paul tells us that while we were yet Christ's enemies, he died for us. While we were yet his enemies, he died for us. Generous. Generous in his mercy. And when we begin, when we begin to experience his generosity and sort of take that in and we begin to express that generosity, what begins to happen is the kingdom of God begins to become visible. 
we begin to experience it. We begin to have people love us in such a way that we're like, man, that was really special. You know what it is? It's the imitation of God's love directed, you, directed toward you. God actually wants us to be able to experience some of these rewards now. Something about the fellowship and community we have is meant to be a foretaste of what he's going to one day fully reveal to us. Where he says, hey Brad, so I've had some time to do this. Here's what I've prepared for you. This is what I've been waiting for you to, to see. Here it is. Do you actually think God's that gracious and generous? It's tangible. It's meant to be. We're meant to be able to see the work of God in one another's lives. That's true. But it's also mystical. There's something that our imaginations, like I really can't tell you much more than what Jesus said. He's preparing something for us, and it's going to boggle the mind and inspire us. The love of Jesus is compelling. So let's look at Jesus' words here in the first part of chapter 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So just piece by piece here. Be, caf- be careful not to practice your righteousness. Now, when we hear that, we don't, we, don't, we don't always hear it as what's being intended, which part of what Jesus is saying is here, be mindful of your piety. Okay, Be mindful of how you live out being devoted to God. If you look back at chapter 5, in the first part here, Jesus is talking a lot about sort of the moral righteousness. You know, one we probably all agree on, right? Like we shouldn't murder. It's really not a good thing for our community. That's actually righteous for us not to murder each other. Jesus says anger is leading the same direction, but murder is one of those examples. Or adultery, or not keeping oaths, or divorce, or an eye for an eye. And Kyle preached over that last week. So Jesus is giving to us this idea of like, okay, moral righteousness. I'm supposed to live into these things. Um, He says at the last part of chapter 5, be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. What he's not saying is, I expect you to be perfect on your own strength. What he's saying is, I want you to be whole. I want you to be full. I want you to live into who I've made you in particular to be. To be perfect as my Father is perfect. Then we move into chapter 6. And Jesus transitions from sort of this moral righteousness to sort of life practice righteousness. Right? One example of this would be giving. So that's why there's an example here in chapter 6 about giving. There's one about fasting. There's one about where you find your treasures in heaven. There's one about prayer. And this idea of Jesus saying, be careful not to practice your righteousness. He's saying, be mindful of why you do what you do. Like, why are you here this morning? If you're here this morning because you think I'm going to be really impressed and then, like, I'm going to start sending you just tons of money, like, I, you're going to be very disappointed, right? You're not, you're not here to impress me. Like, why are you here? Why do we do the things we do in an effort to be devoted to who God is? Why do we give of ourselves? Why do we serve others? I think there's at least three different possible motivations, and they may be mixed up all together at once. One is for yourself. Like, maybe you're here, or maybe you do something nice for someone just for yourself. What would be reasons for that? Well, credibility. Maybe you owe them one. Maybe reputation. You know, um, you know, I was talking to a friend even this morning about how reputation can be an idol. Reputation can be something we think to ourselves, you know what? I'm going to feel really valuable and really significant if I impress these people over here. And essentially what you're doing is you're worshiping this idol of reputation. You believe that if my reputation's intact, people will think I'm okay. The only thing that really gives you that kind of hope and security is the Lord himself. 
You know, what, maybe you're doing something just for yourself. Or maybe your motivation is not for yourself, but it's really for another. But that can get twisted. You know, why do we do things for other people? Well, it might be because we really love them. It also might be because we don't want them to be angry at us, which is not a bad thing. Or it might be because we're trying to build our reputation. Or maybe we do it for the Lord. We do things for ourselves, we do it for others, maybe we do it for the Lord. Why do we do things for the Lord? Well, it could be for reputation. It also might be because you think that your relationship with God is based on this idea of if I do enough, then he's going to give me these things. And Jesus is unseating all of that. He's like, look, I have rewards for you, but they're so much bigger than just the opinions of others. They're so much bigger than the reputation that you can acquire on your own. They're so much bigger than what you would want to give yourself. It's like when a mother wants to give a gift to a child and says, I'll give you anything you want. Well, a three-year-old has three-year-old desires, right? But a mother knows what that child really needs or what would really excite them. That's why there's nothing like the surprise of a child's face when they go, no way. Like, it's beyond my imagining that you would do this for me. Be careful to practice your righteousness. There's this thing Jesus is asking us to do to almost be self-aware, spiritually self-aware about when we do things, what's our motivation behind it? And then he goes on. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Okay, there it is. It's like this idea of doing something just to gain their praise. Again, the reputation idol, you know, or maybe the fit-in idol. Looking to something to give you what only God can give you. Be careful to practice your righteousness in front of others to receive their praise. Part of what Jesus is doing here is saying, if your goal is to do things to impress people, it actually might impress them, and that's the fullness of the reward. That's all there is. But I have more for you. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, Jesus says, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. When we give of ourselves, whether it's with our time or with our resources or with our heart, or if we're giving mercy to someone, whatever it is, if we're doing it because of how much God's loved us, there's a reward involved. The knowledge of God's love and the knowledge of his mercy, the knowledge of his assessment of us. Now, if you had to answer the question, what is God like, how would you answer the question? He's omnipresent, right? He's everywhere. That's kind of fun. He's omniscient, right? He knows all things. He's, om, he's, om, he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's omniscient, he knows all things, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. When you think about who God is, how do you describe him? I want to ask you to consider, when you think about who God is, to think about this, that he's more generous than any other being ever. That he wants to reward you, to be gracious to you, to give you an eternal assessment of his love, for you to know that you are his beloved. How do you think God assesses you? He's generous. When I was in middle school, I was in a garage band. I played bass. My friend Frank played uh, electric guitar. William was on the drums. And my brother Joey, when he could pester us enough, who was a much better musician than I am, would play piano or sing or whatever. And we'd like play together. And somebody had this terrible idea that we should do a song by Poison and we should do it for the talent show. And the moment it came out, I was like, this is an awful idea. Like, we should not do this. I... I don't want to do this. Now, why did I not want to do it? Well, I didn't want everyone to laugh at us. 
poison was cool. I wasn't worried about that back then. The thing I was concerned about was absolutely blowing it in front of all these people and being so embarrassed. It actually went quite well. We did a good job. You know, we had lots of people cheered, and it was, it was a great experience. But can, but can you imagine, like, as a middle school student, getting up in front of all these people and doing this show and everyone praising me and me thinking, yeah, baby, let's do another, let's just keep it going. I just want some, give me some more praise. Let's just keep rolling here. And that was a fun time. Like, I look back on it with fond memories. But you know what I really love about it? Is that to this day, my mom loves the fact that Joey and I are musicians. She loves to hear us play. She sees Joey play, or she'll, you know, I'll be around, I'll be playing my guitar. It brings her a lot of joy because we're her sons, and we're musicians, and we love to play. And there's this, it's so much bigger than the awesome Poison concert I gave when I was in middle school. God's love for you is so much bigger than just the present moment. He's going to present opportunities to you to be generous, as Jesus is saying here. Sometimes people are going to see and they're going to acknowledge it. Hey, that was really kind of you to do that. But above all, your Father in heaven who loves you gives you this eternal assessment that you are his beloved. If you seek his praise, he will actually give it. And it's life-giving. You're meant for it. There's a greater reward Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus gives this example. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, and then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. What's one of the rewards of knowing whenever you go to pray, something's going to happen? Well, one of the rewards is that God will hear you. This is, again, hard for us to believe, but very real. We see it in the Scriptures that when we pray, our Father in heaven responds. When you lift your deep, desperate prayers, when you lift your prayers of thanksgiving and joy, they do not fall on deaf ears. The God of heaven and earth hears it, and he's generous to you. Take that in. When you think of generous people, who do you think of? Maybe you think of Willy Wonka, right? Not the Johnny Depp version, Gene Wilder, right? I remember seeing that as a child and thinking, this is the best show ever created. Like, this is it. There's a dude with a chocolate factory. He gives free chocolate to children. He has all these kids come who get the golden ticket. And then Charlie gets the factory like, this is heaven on earth. Like, this is it. Amazing reward. When you think of generous, what do you think of? There was an article published a couple years ago. It's a little out of date. It's about four or five years old. About the 20 most generous people in the world whose combined gifts uh, what was a total of $106.8 billion between these 20 people had given away $106.8 billion. And what they did was they decided to assess kind of their righteousness. They decided to give them what's called a generosity index. And it's, compa- it's basically taking their net worth and comparing it to what they've been given. Okay? George Soros had given away up to that point $8 billion. He got a 33% generosity index. So let's do the math there. He, that's 33%. Warren Buffett had given $21.5 billion. His generosity index was 35%. Bill Gates, $27 billion, generosity index of 32%. I think Ted Turner was 16th on the list with a 57% generosity rating. Um, and then there was one man called the James Bond of philanthropy who had basically had so much money that his goal was to give away everything he had and to reduce his net worth to one million dollars i'm like ooh, i'd like it that'd be amazing but you know he wanted to reduce it to one million dollars his generosity index was four hundred twenty thousand percent by by 2017 i think is what it was why were they able to give so much money 
Because they, they were drawing from something they had. Their bank accounts are so big, and it's really generous. I'm sure some amazing things happened, but they, they weren't expected to pull money out of the dirt and just say, here's, like, they gave from their abundance. God is inviting you into living generously from the abundance of grace he's given you. He's not expecting you to come up with this on your own strength. The words that Jesus is giving here, he's saying, look, you have a fountain of grace to drink from, and I want you to live this grace out towards other people. Things like this, being generous and being gracious. Do you find it difficult to be gracious to people? I do sometimes. Do you find it generous to be, uh, do you find it difficult to be forgiving? Jesus, because he's forgiven us so much, enables us to live into profound forgiveness because he knows all things, he sees all things, he will reconcile all things. Generous in being a truth teller, to be loving in how we tell the truth because God has been so truthful and gentle with us. Generous in being faithful, generous in being patient, generous in giving, giving because he's given us so much. That's the paradigm. Have you experienced the patience of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God to such an extent that you're able to be generous with patience and kindness and mercy? That's the kind of thing Jesus is inviting us into. And what happens when we live into that is we begin to be transformed. You know, the generous life or the redemptive life is a life lived in such a way that it's rewarded by God. What kind of rewards? Well, there's some I don't understand and know about. Part of them are heavenly, but they're also very present rewards. You know, I just read this whole health study that came out a couple days ago. It popped in my Apple News feed. It said, the health benefits of forgiving. And they went through all this empirical data about uh, people's heart rates and their stress levels and uh, the, the relationship, how they would describe the health in their relationships, only using forgiveness as, an ad, uh, as a way to, fact, to factor in what was going on. There's something about what God gives us in the common grace of understanding how to forgive that is able to transform us. And so he's generous with us. Now our forgiveness is based on what God has done for us and his son Jesus. Now, we don't forgive in our own paradigm. We forgive because God has forgiven us so much. You know, part of thinking about this generosity, Jesus says in verse 20, is understanding that it's eternal. Chapter 6, verse 20, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's like Jesus is saying, you are what you eat. What do you treasure above all else? What kind of treasures does God have for you? In Colossians chapter 2, we read that all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Do you have hard questions? Do you have big questions? All treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. And the thing about the Scriptures is, is that oftentimes the Scriptures don't answer every question our hearts can muster, but they can answer the questions our hearts need answered. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You know, it's interesting. 
this idea of being generous, even here, do you see it's, just, it's not all about money? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. God is inviting us into this generosity because there's life in it. There's eternal blessing in it. Now, I wanna, let me close with this. I'm going to read to you a little section from the book that we're giving away. It's out there if you want a free one. And then I have a couple applications, and then we're going to be done. Okay? So this book, Gentle and Lowly, I want you to hear this. Because for some of us in this room, we're like, amen, I've received the mercy of God. It's really beautiful. I'm so grateful for who you are, Lord. But there are probably plenty of us in this room who are thinking, I'm actually not that excited about God's grace and mercy. I either haven't experienced it or I'm in a lot of pain and I'm, I want what you're saying to be true, but it's not true for me. Orland writes this, Consider God's richness and mercy for your own life. He doesn't meet you halfway. His very nature is to engage death and bring life. He did that decisively once and for all at your conversion, but he continues to do it time and time and again in your sin and folly. Perhaps looking at the evidence of your life, you do not know what to conclude except that the mercy of God in Christ has passed you up. Maybe you've been deeply mistreated, misunderstood, betrayed by the one person you should have been able to trust. Maybe you've been abandoned, taking advantage of. Perhaps you carry a pain that will never heal until you're dead. If my life, you're thinking, is any evidence of the mercy of God in Christ, you might think, I'm not impressed. To you, I say, the evidence of Christ's mercy toward you is not your life. The evidence of His mercy toward you is in His mistreatment, His being misunderstood, His being betrayed, His being abandoned, and eternally in your place. If God sent His own Son to walk through the valley of condemnation, rejection, and hell, can you trust Him as you walk through your own valleys on your way to heaven? Perhaps you have difficulty receiving the rich mercy of God in Christ, not because of other, what of others have done to you, but because of what, how you have torpedoed your life, maybe through one big stupid decision or maybe through 10,000 little ones. You've squandered His mercy, and you know it. To you, I say, do you know what Jesus does with those who have squandered His mercy? He pours out more mercy. God is rich in mercy. That's the whole point. Whether we have been sinned against or have sinned ourselves into misery, the Bible says God is not tight-fisted with mercy, but open-handed, not frugal but lavish, not poor but rich. That God is rich in mercy means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels through which divine mercy passes, but home, homes in which divine mercy abides. It means the things about you that make you cringe most Make him hug hardest. It means his mercy is not calculating and cautious like ours. It's unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, and magnanimous. It means our haunting shame is not a problem for him, but the very thing he loves to work through. It means our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Our sins cause his love to surge forward all the more. It means on that day, when we stand before him quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked, at how impoverished a view of his mercy-rich heart we had. God is generous. You so need this in your life.
to understand God's grace for you, His mercy for you. It's going to let you live into a couple things here. I'm just going to mention this and then we're going to be done. For your marriage. It means that you can actually have a posture that says, I'm going to be more generous than my spouse deserves because God has been so generous to me. I'm going to forgive, I'm going to be merciful, I'm going to try to be compassionate, and I'm going to fail, and then I'm going to lean on Jesus again because he's got more grace for me and more mercy. It means in your relationships, whoever you think you can't move toward, remember this, Jesus is in the business of bringing dead things to life. That's what he does. That's all about what he does. It means in your parenting. If you're a parent and you've been a parent for any amount of time, you have failed miserably, I am sure. Because I have. God's grace is big enough for our kids and our failures. God's grace is big enough for our kids and their failures. He is generous. I'll never forget, <clears throat> Jamie sent me this illustration a couple years ago. It was a, a video. And it was about a mom who had asked her son to please clean his room. We've actually had this conversation in our house before. You may not believe that, but we've actually said, you know, would you please clean your room? Maybe, maybe you've done that. And so she goes in, she argues with her son, he storms down the stairs, he leaves the house, he goes to practice, he does his thing. And then she sells, she, this, the mother says this to herself, I see his stress, I see his frustration, I see his response to the difficult things in the world, and I see a miniature version of myself crying for help. And so she spends hours in his room cleaning it, you know, has the yellow gear on, you know, it's dangerous in there, she's getting everything clean. He comes home, he goes upstairs, angry, you know, i got to go up here and clean my room. And he gets up there, and it's pristine. It's ready for him. He sheepishly comes downstairs, says, why'd you do that? She says, because I understand, and I love you. I'm going to be generous to you. And what do you think brings more life? The kindness of God expressed to us you know, to our kids, through our parenting, or something else. God's inviting us to see His kingdom come to bear, even in our relationships with our kids and our, our marriages and our friendships, because He's generous. Jesus' words to us, um, I think because it's easier for us, we kind of hear these words and think, oh, this is just about giving money. It's, it's, it's about understanding your Father sees all, and He has rewards for you. And so this week, that's my encouragement for you. To sit down, to think about, do I really believe God's been generous to me? What, is, what does that mean for me? And, and what is it, you know, how does that begin to change me? And where could maybe I live into that generosity toward others? Because the result of his generosity for us is resurrection. And that's what he's going to use our generosity towards others to do. He's going to bring resurrections, resurrections, new life, new things. Let's pray together. Jesus, this morning, thank you for being so generous to us. Thank you for inviting us into participating in your kingdom by being generous with one another. And be gracious to us. Maybe this week we really need to hear about how much you love us and how much you care for us. That Maybe your, script, maybe your spirit would bring scriptures to mind or relationship opportunities or maybe even through the words that we share with one another here in our church, Lord. But would you remind us this week of the generosity that is ours in Christ, that we might taste and see that you're good, and that we might live generously ourselves. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.